Welcome to this episode. I'm your coach, Elizabeth. And today's guest is Gianni Bisconti, who's got this incredible book that just came out. The title is Fuckless. So you know, I already love it if it's got profanity in the title. Um, But what she does is she breaks down these 10 archaic stifling expectations that women deal with every day, ones that were really set upon us externally, and that we've um, brought in and really internalized. She's a board certified behavioral analyst. She's super smart. And in this episode, we choose our favorite fucks that we give. Mine was uh, Be Chosen, right? Another one that we talk about is Be Everything. And lastly, we talk about Be Sweet Yet Sexy. So these were really great. I think that it's all, you know, up to the listener, which way you're going to take these, you know, 10 um, expectations that she's identified, but no doubt you're going to get something out of this. I think that um, it's going to have you checking your behavior throughout the day. Like, oh, wait a minute, am I trying to be chosen or am I trying to be everything or am I trying, you know, to be uh, fixed, be less of me. So she's a great guest. We have a really good chat. So enjoy. Gianna, welcome to Ascend and Transcend. I'm so excited to talk about your new book, Fuckless, A Guide to Wild, Unencumbered Freedom. Um, It's already an Amazon bestseller, so congratulations. Um, I've seen you all over the place doing tons of press, but I think that this immediate bestseller status just means, wow, maybe we needed a book like this, and maybe women really identify with this. So if you can, just give a little summary of a snapshot of Fuckless for our listeners. So Fuckless really goes over the, I narrowed it down to 10 because it turns out there's more, but I tried to have these 10, uh, these 10 fucks that really are beliefs, opinions, fears, experiences of others that are given to us that really aren't ours. And, you know, I, I come from a behavioral science background. I've worked um, with children. I've done executive coaching and leadership. And so I've got a really robust knowledge of the human condition and why we do what we do. And when we're little, we do look to everyone else around us because we don't know anything yet. And so we we take on that advice and say, okay, but then we grow up and we need to be able to rely on our own experiences. And I think at some point in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, at some point in your life, you stop and say, oh shit, some of these things are not true for me. And it, it was from a helpful parent who loves you or a professor who didn't like you at all or our media or this, or society. Um, and so these 10 fucks are really the, the glass boxes that society places women into. And even though they, they feel like they're not true for us, everybody really behaves as though they are true. And so it's hard to break out of those glass boxes. You know, we talk about this glass ceiling, um, in the, in the career space, but it's really all encompassing, you know, women are in these glass boxes. Some, we incur judgment regardless of the direction in which we move. And so in order to stay liked and right at all times, which is what women are told that we're supposed to do, be liked above anything else, like men be anything, women be liked. And so we operate in, inside these glass boxes according to these these 10 fucks. And so the book was really born of that. And I, I do really always make the point to say, some of these might be true for you. If you believe that being soft and quiet and not speaking your mind and having eight babies and moving to the suburbs and being everything to everyone first is who you want to be and it's fulfilling for you. That's the caveat. And it's fulfilling for you and it makes you happy. 
fantastic. This isn't a book about how to be a woman or my opinion of what a woman is. This is really taking the number one thing that I saw with my clients, with society, through psychology and all the work that I do is that we don't bring women up to live from the inside out as we do with men. And so we bring women up to operate in a society where they look to everyone else for permission way past childhood. Well, and I think that you hit on something, right? When we're children, it's the social cues, but I think it evolves into conditioning, right? So even throughout, even as children, I I think it's really interesting that you bring this up because I'm a mother of two daughters. One is almost 10 and one is seven. And um, for a while, they were really scared to cut their hair and like terrified. And I was like, well, you know, why? And it's because, well, I'm pretty if I have long hair. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay, well, where did you learn that? You know what I mean? Like, they have a feminist mother, right? All of it. And then I'm like, well, I don't even know. I mean, that's just conditioning and that's marketing. And that's something that they've already been indoctrinated into, like, what the standard of beauty is. So I cut off my hair and then they still didn't want to do it. Now they're going to do it, like, in like a week because I'm forcing them because I'm like, listen, you are not your hair. Like, we will not go down this road the rest of your life. If you want to have long hair when you grow up, fine. But it can't be because you're seeking approval from this external world. So it starts so little, even with what we're dressing them in, even with what their hair looks like. um, It just would never be that way for boys, right? It doesn't feel that way. Absolutely. And so up to about the age of five, children really don't recognize gender. They don't register it. Um, and then after the age of five, we start giving girls pink things and bows and draws and we give boys GI Joes and we tell them to suck it up and don't cry. And so it really starts, you know, after that. And then little girls watch their gender become a pejorative term. You throw like a girl. Don't be such a girl. You run like a girl. Don't be such a girl. And by puberty, girls' self-esteem is destroyed because of the social conditioning that happens around them. And because of the way that we condition little boys as well, it's an insult if you tell a little boy he's like a girl. That's changing. I know plenty of little boys now who wear tutus and paint their nails because they think it's fun and I agree. And so, you know, it's, it's what I realized with this book. And I say this after, you know, going into part two, that it's really made me question the utility of gender altogether. I, at no point in this book, did anyone ever say, well, that was a really helpful gender stereotype that I could abide by. It's always this, this limit of, well, you can't do that because you're, yeah, that's not masculine, or you can't do that because that's not female. It's not feminine. It's not accepted. And so while I believe, you know, medically, I'd like a doctor to know my sex, you know, if, if I'm getting an operation or if it's medically necessary, I'm happy to say I was born a female, you know, or born a male. But other than that, it's like, what's the point of, of gender labels? They really only seem to limit. And, you know, the world is expanding and getting more diverse. And if we're agreeing that creativity and diversity and being interesting Mm -hmm. and being unique is a good thing, then why are we still dealing with these binary labels and these glass boxes for women? Yeah, I love that. I would love for you to not only just kind of like quickly go through the 10 expectations, you know, that we want to like give a fuck less about. Um, But then we also chatted about maybe picking one or two that are our favorites to do a deeper dive in for the listeners. 
Great. I'm lucky I have the book here because they're all on the cover and I always forget I one it. or two. They're in the flames. I know. It's such a great cover. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Started yeah. out in a friend's kitchen. I was like, I'm just going to do this and wrote it on a napkin. I love it. Um, so be sexy, but sweet, which I know I'll talk about more. Yeah. Be chosen, be dependent, be soft, be small, mm. be stifled, be fixed, be everything be the exception and be less. Wow. I mean, I think we've all felt that before. I I know I have. I love how you pinpointed some that are very expansive, but then very simply put them as, you know, be everything, right? Or be Mm -hmm. sexy, but sweet. So let's break it down. So one that we wanted to do a deeper dive in is in this be sexy, but sweet. And I think that right now, especially with you know, just some really popular figures in the media and celebrity and things like that. Um, You know, the first time that I was exposed to like the baby talk, like as being sweet, I think was Paris Hilton. It was really cringy. And now we see it still with the Kardashians. It's like, oh, you know, talk like a baby. And and I, I don't know, man, that was something that I didn't even really understand when it was happening. I was like, what the fuck is happening? Why is everybody talking like a baby? And why is that supposed to be sexy? if it's like an immaturity. So, I mean, that's my take on it, but I would love to hear your take on that fuck. There's a comedian, I be- I'm going to butcher her name, which sucks because people butcher my name all the time. Um, Eliza Schleslinger, I think yeah. she does this Yes. about, it's not so much that it's sexy, but that it's innocent and incapable and vulnerable. Mm. And that's what makes it sexy, right? Of, right. And, you know, how many times have I heard, you know, my mother or her friends or whatever growing up, you have to make a man think it's his idea and don't speak up too much because you're going to make the man uncomfortable. The first thing my mother said to me when I told her about this book was, how do do you think that's going to make men feel? And I was like, men don't do things and say, how is this going to make other people feel, let alone how is this going to make women feel? And I was like, see, exactly. You proved my point. Exactly. Thank you for proving my point, mom. And so... You know, it's really this this diminishing and this reducing and this, you know, it, it really comes down to also one of the other foxes, be small. Um, it's really how can we put, keep the men in this illusion that they are everything and not to be challenged and on this pedestal. And, and by men, I say mostly like heterosexual white males. Um, and even the heterosexual white males I know are like kind of sick of that persona anyway and being yeah. told to like, have executive presence, whatever the fuck that means. Right. Um, and to be coercive in this toxic masculinity, like we're all sick of it. Yeah. And so it's not that like the baby voice itself is sexy. It's that when you see a woman who's like very meeker and like needs help with everything yeah, and like doesn't know stuff, um, <laughs> it encourages the male to step in and makes them feel useful. Right. Right. And I think we've all been in the position where we like to feel needed to a point, I think that's nice and healthy. But if we're diminishing our own accomplishments, you know, I bought my house in San Diego when I was a 32 year old single woman. And people were like, congratulations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't tell the men that you're dating that you just bought a house. And I listened. And they're like, say you rent, you know, like not that you own because, you know, if they know you can afford your own house, it's like all over. And I just was on this 
it, we call wow. it automaticity in behavioral science. Like there's this automaticity. I'm on this hamster wheel. Of, oh yeah, yeah. I don't want to like ruffle anybody's feathers. And like, I want to be chosen another fuck. I want to be chosen. And so I'm going to do all the things to be chosen. And that's reduce my accomplishments and my bank account and all the things. And never once did it occur to me, like, if that's a problem, like <laughs> they're probably not the right, right. guy for me. <laughs> right. I mean, I would think that that yeah, exactly. Like, I'm not going to worry about that. Actually, I might lead with that on the first date, you know, just so we like flush them out right away. Right. Okay. Weed them out. Yeah. Them out. So, okay. So that's part of it, right? Be, be needy, but then also be everything, right? So why don't we dive into that one? Because I, I feel, you know, um, I'm like, I'm sure most women do right now that be everything ideal is something that has only exploded over the last few years, especially being literally cooped up and imprisoned in our own homes and things like that. It's like, you're still supposed to have this wonderful attitude and be, God damn it, you better be grateful for everything and you better do it all. You know, that's another thing too, this gratitude guilt. Um, I love gratitude, but I think it can turn, you know, a little toxic, right? At some point when you're just sit up and shut up because sit up and be grateful for everything and then let that be enough. And if it isn't enough, then what's wrong with you? But this whole idea of being everything, why don't you walk us a little bit more through that, Gianna? Yes. So, you know, I I think that, you know, looking back in, you know, the 1950s and back in the day where women or um, men were the primary breadwinners and women could stay home, things were obviously very different, right? Women had all day to clean a house and get the kids ready and, and take care of themselves and, you know, any, and, and cook for hours. Right. Right. And then women kind of broke that mold and the women that wanted to and, and could and chose to went out into the workforce. And so now we don't have the time right. um, to, to do everything and be everything, but we're, the expectation is still there. And so what we're looking at with be everything is yes, you know, I feel like women who work are expected to work like they don't have kids and parent like they don't have a job Right. where that is not expected of men. Yeah. And so I tell a story in this book. Um, it's, it's in a different fuck, but it, it actually applies to this too, where this guy became a single father. I think, you know, he got divorced and he won custody and all of a sudden he started coming to work complaining about how hard it was to be a a, a parent and a producer, right? And he was bringing up like, and I'm still expected to produce as much as the people without children. And he's talking, all the women are like, yeah, (laughs) welcome to the party, bro. Um, We've been here for a while. Like this isn't blindly complaining. Um, And so this is really this expectation of, when you're at work, you're supposed to be on, on, on. And when with your kid, like you're supposed to be on, on, on. And you're also supposed to take care of your body. I also think this girl boss bullshit mentality oh, is it. way overboard. She's I don't know yo. what the point of that was. Now it's like, it's not enough if you work and have children and are a spouse and like, keep everybody alive and fed. Now you got to have the filter, the briefcase, the heels. You got to be like a girl boss. And none of the, I never heard girl. I heard girl boss with the fucking Kardashians, not the like PhDs who were working on curing cancer. Like no one calls them a girl boss because they don't put effort 
into appeasing a societal standard of what a girl boss is supposed to look like. And so then they don't win this like special girl boss accolade. Um, and so that, that, and that qualifier is so infantilizing too. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think the be everything is just put everything else first before you because you are a sacrificial being. Right. And if you're not being a martyr, you're not doing it right. And so many of my clients are, you know, falling into that space of like martyrdom. And I'm like, it's not cute to be a martyr. <laughs> like, And by the way, <laughs> nobody notices and you're not going to get like some award at the end of your life for completely sacrificing every fiber of your being. But then when, you know, productivity is linked to your self-worth, you know, it's really hard to kind of cut that cord. And take a day for you and not even like, I mean, a lot of times, you know, I'll assign them to do something totally unproductive and they're like, okay, I'm going to go get my hair done or my nails done. I'm like, no, like that, that's productive. And they're like, well, I appreciate that. It feels good. I'm like, okay, that's great. But that to me, that isn't even self-care. Self-care is having a conversation with a good girlfriend or somebody or connecting with somebody or having a deep spiritual practice. It's whatever it means to you. But I think that we've been so hardwired that even self-care, by God, it better be productive and you better come out looking better on the other side of it. So it's this tricky, yeah. it's this tricky dialogue with yourself of what actually is for me. I don't know about you. I don't fucking enjoy a pedicure. It's like I'm counting down the minutes till I can get out of there. And you know, this other thing, my poor husband, I'll leave him like, yeah, I'm going to go get a pedicure. And he's like, all right, well, enjoy, relax or whatever. And I'm like, <laughs> You're like fuck no. you. I don't want to go do this. I have to go do this because if I don't have perfect, perfectly polished toes, you know, even if it's to drag the trash cans out, I feel like I'm a beast, you know? And we were talking too about sending, you know, Marco Polos or videos to our friends. Like the first thing that we say is like, I look like shit. And I said that when we started this recording, I was like, oh my God, I look like shit. And it's just this like reflex now, isn't it? Yeah. And it's not for me anymore. And this book has really helped me. Once you see these things, you can't unsee yeah. them. Um, and I, I'm in the leadership space. And so I'm used to seeing a lot of people say things and not follow up. Um, or know that their company is actually an internal disaster or the fact that they actually haven't led anyone. They just talk about leading people. And so for me, I was doing some brand work last year um, and I had a team, uh, I brought in a branding team and they interviewed a, a lot of my clients. And the one thing that came through was she would never ask you to do anything that she hasn't done herself or isn't willing to do with you. And so writing this book, I was like, well, now I got to walk my talk, right? right? I can't be the person who, I can't be the the woman who wrote fuck list, who's running around giving all these fucks that I don't care about. And so <laughs> totally. um, it's been nice to be able to let that go um, and to really, you know, as a behavior analyst, we tease apart variables, right? I, the self-care industry is a soapbox for me because it has become a billion dollar industry of products. Here's what you need for self-care. Right. My self-care is sitting in my well-being room with no TV, with no noise, sitting next to my dog without my phone. Yeah. No screens, no noise. I am in silence. Mm. And at first it's deafening. And you realize how conditioned you are to always be stimulated. Um, but after 30 minutes of that, 
my nervous system is more regulated. I am calmer. Maybe I'm just like in more of a dream state if I'm, you know, uh, not napping, but in, in a different yeah. state of consciousness a little bit. Um, I keep a notebook just in, because something always comes yep. up. I have insight. I have childhood memories come back in those moments that are good. And I, so I keep a notebook around because I don't want to lose the right. benefits of my quiet time. And so the self-care industry is, again, focusing on, you guessed it, what you look like. Right. And if you look up self-care, it's it's something that you do to improve your health. And so I would say, while I don't really care what my what my nails look like, the thing about a manicure or a pedicure that I enjoy is that I put my phone away. I physically can't yeah. hold my phone during a manicure. Right. right. And so once a month or once every couple of months, I'll go get a manicure and I'll leave my phone at home. And it's just nice to just yeah. look around and to talk to someone like that's the variable, yeah. the variable on all these BS activities, you know, get a facial mask or whatever. And I'm sitting around and I have this face mask on. It's like, I don't care about the face mask. I care about the silence. Right. It's um, like a meditation. Or the fact that I can't see my phone or I'm not looking at a screen right now because I've got these things over my eyes. And right. so I think self-care does need a real reality check and a rebranding because they're, they're selling women things and promising them that they cannot possibly deliver right. serenity and peace with all these right. things. That That's not it. And these women who are in dire need of self-care are in need of something much deeper and more substantial. Right. Or it's alcohol, right? It's like big alcohol. Like, right. oh, self-care is a poor, have the whole bottle. And I'm like, what the fuck? You know, that is the one that really triggers me. I'm like, oh my God, you're literally numbing women. And then increasing their anxiety. It's a sedative. Like, I mean, it's just all of the stuff that, um, anyway, I could go on a rant about that for a while, but really quickly, I do want to touch on this be chosen because I wanted to ask you if having this book out now has triggered any of those feelings to like want to be chosen. Like it's an Amazon bestseller, like all of these things, you know, my book's coming out in a few months and I'm like, how do I not fall into that trap of like needing the external approval of the book. And this can be for anybody who's trying to get a promotion, who's trying to get an assignment to a big project. It, it can be any, even if your mom group is like not really inviting you to things. Um, I think that this is a big one. I think at the end of the day, for me, it feels like the biggest one, which is just be chosen. That's a great question. And even though it was written from a relationship a relationship standpoint, a romantic relationship standpoint, I really like the questions applied to everything. Um, the one, the one commonality I see in my coaching work amongst people who attach and grasp, like it has to be an Amazon bestseller, or that means something bad about me, or I have to be included with this group, or that means something bad about me, or I have to be chosen by this guy or a woman be, or or else, right? Right, and and or else it's my fault, and there's shame and guilt that comes along with that. And look, everyone likes to feel belonging and and connection. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with wanting the people you love to love you back. We're we're social humans. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be recognized for your work and promoted for something that you deserve. And so I'll go Buddhist here is, you know, Buddhists will say it's not, it's not unhealthy to want something. It's unhealthy to hinge your happiness and self-worth to it, to say, if that boss, potential lover, mom group doesn't choose me, I do not have value. 
instead of saying, if they don't choose me, why would I want to choose them? They're probably not my people, but we chase this validation. It's very high school, right? And so looking at it from a behavioral standpoint, you know, pick like the popular group in high school, they're very exclusionary. And so they increase their social currency, they increase their social value, and they, they make them something that you want to be a part of. And so you chase, you chase, even if they're mean or treat you like crap, whatever. We do this with partners too. Mm -hmm. If the value of a romantic partner is high, you place a lot of value on that. You're more likely to change yourself and hinge your self-worth and happiness on being chosen. Um, So I wouldn't say that there's anything wrong with wanting for a crush to think you're cute. Um, or smart or brave or or for your kids to appreciate you or for to want a promotion, the unhealthy part, and I try not to ever say good and bad because it's mm-hmm. so contextual, but the unhealthy versus healthy part is when you feel like crap because someone's not choosing you and you hinge your self-worth and happiness and behavior upon it and you start to shape yourself away from who you naturally mm-hmm. are in order to be chosen. Because even if you are chosen in the future by that group, you're probably not going to be very happy because it's not authentically right. you. It's a misalignment. You know, we teach kids this all the time. Oh, you're you're in the mean girls group now? Good for you. Like you're going to become a mean girl or you're going to feel like crap because you're actually not a mean girl, but now you're supposed to make fun of all these other people right. and exclude them. And that's that goes against who we naturally are. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think with that exclusionary piece, that's that's the unhealthy part. Mm-hmm. And, and when we change ourselves, that's that's yeah. the toxicity, that's the unhealthy piece. Or when we postpone happiness, right? We think that we will be happy when. I think too, it's it's overflowed into, you know, the people listening who are parents. Now we desperately want our children to be chosen. You know, we want them to be a, an accepted because then that's somehow some weird reflection on us, or maybe that's going to heal our inner child, you know, when we didn't get X and Y. And so then, then we're putting this, these fucks on these little, you know, beings who have been entrusted to us. And it's like, and I know some of it's natural, but I think your message of just having the awareness and being able to kind of catch yourself when you feel yourself sliding into one of these fucks is what's so profound and beautiful about your book. So I appreciate you spending time with us today. Everybody get the book. There's going to be links at the bottom for of, of this podcast and all the social. Fuckless, a guide to wild, unencumbered freedom. Thank you so much for being with us, Gianna. Thank you for having me. 